I know people have a hard time wanting to meditate and then sticking with meditation. But to me, it has been the most transformative spiritual practice I've ever had because it's helped me see what stuff to work on. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how we move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, writers, in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We are your hosts, Kelly and Gary Allen, and welcome to Holy Heretics. Welcome to season two of Holy Heretics. If last year was all about deconstructing, this year we'll turn our attention to reconstruction. Who are we? Where are we going? And how do we get there? Today, we're lucky to have Danielle Schroyer with us to discuss how she has found a way of spiritual transformation by integrating Buddhist practices and teaching into her Christian journey. Danielle is a spiritual director, author, speaker, and former pastor. She is the author of three books. Most recently, Original Blessing, Putting Sin in Its Rightful Place. She also runs the blog Soul Ninja, where she reflects on the teachings of Buddhism as she practices them. Danielle is a graduate of Baylor University and Princeton Seminary. She's a Taekwondo black belt and loves books, tea, and most nerdy things. She and her husband, Dan, have two teenagers and live in Dallas. Welcome, Danielle. This is going to be a fun conversation. I am looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have you. I can feel you smiling through the, micro- <laughs> the microphone, which is kind of funny. So It's funny. I am always smiling. That's the one thing AirPods teach you is when you have them in your ears and you smile all the time, you're, you know, it feels weird. So yeah. I have become really aware in COVID Zoom times that I smile a lot while talking. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> we need more of that. That's awesome. Well, I'm fascinated to talk to you for a couple of different reasons. One, you were the first person to introduce me to the notion of original blessing, the fact that we weren't born into some like complete debauchery and sin um, through your book. But even more important to today's conversation, the whole concept of incorporating Buddhist teachings and Buddhist practices into your spiritual routine, your kind of post-evangelical life. Um, and and obviously, selfishly, it's something that I've incorporated for, for me. And what I have found, at least, is Christianity is heavy on teaching and light on praxis or, or practice. Um, and it's provided some tools and techniques that have just really helped me stay grounded. So why um, – let's just kind of jump in. Why has Buddhism uh, and particularly mindfulness and, and meditation appealed to you on your own spiritual journey and maybe what led you to begin experimenting with it in the first place? Yeah, well, I, I certainly resonate with what you said, this idea that that Christianity is heavy on teaching and Buddhism is heavy on praxis. And I would also add that Christianity, and maybe this is because I went to seminary, <laughs> but Christianity <laughs> is really focused on the why and the what, like we have to understand everything. Mm-hmm. And then we don't really ever get to the practice point. And Buddhism is very focused on like, it is what it is, like, what are you going to do about it? And that's so refreshing after way too many hours spent talking about the atonement or the Trinity or, you know, (laughs) mysteries that have no end. Right. Mm. Um, 
Well, I mean, the the shortest story of how I got into Buddhism is that I actually was a part of a leadership cohort. Um, we were thinking about leadership and how to to guide people into wholeness. And it just so happened that um, all of my teachers in that cohort were Tibetan Buddhist. And so meditation was a very big part of what they were teaching us. And from my first experience with, with meditation in that capacity, I was just hooked. I was sort of shocked actually and realized I went into it thinking, well, I'm good at prayer. Like, sure, I'll be fine at meditation. And then I realized, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm actually so bad at this. <laughs> and so then I kind of thought, well, what is, why is it different? Why does that feel so different? And there was a Muslim um, guy that was in my cohort uh, from India. And I said, okay. And he was so, he's so devout, prayed every, every single time every day. Right. And I said, do you feel like it's different? He said, oh, yeah, totally different. I'm mm. terrible at meditation. I said, okay, good. It's not just me. So um, that was my introduction. And then I just realized quite quickly how seamlessly it connected with all the things I was thinking about. Because as it happens, I, st I joined that cohort when I was wrapping up my manuscript for Original Blessing. And, mm. you know, one of the first things we were learning was basic human goodness, this idea that no matter how bad things get, you always have this ability to come back home to your goodness, to come back to that place where you have what you need to do what you need to do. Hmm. And I thought, well, yes, this is what I this is what I'm writing about and thinking about ad nauseum for the last two years. So hmm. it felt like such a serendipitous connection and overlap. And because I'm a nerd, of course, after that cohort was long <laughs> over two years later, I just kept going, you know, and read all the books and got a meditation teacher, another one, and just, you know, dove all the way went and went to a sangha for a while, mm. um, which is like, you know, Buddhist church. Um, right. I just did all the things and I'm, I'm still working on it, figuring nice. it out. And it's been really, really, what a gift to my, to my spiritual life. That's incredible. I feel like most people who grew up evangelical um, or grew up in the church don't really have that openness to other traditions or practices or even the knowledge around them. Um, so if I go back to uh, world religions in my first year of university, which I, I took and I really loved it, um, if I can remember correctly, there are four noble truths in Buddhism. There is suffering, there is cause of suffering, there is an end to human suffering, and then there is a path that leads to the end of all suffering. Um, can you explain to us what do those four noble truths mean to you? <laughs> um, yes, we could spend two hours just talking about the four <laughs> oh, noble let's, truths. Let's do oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> My kind of conversation. Okay, um, let's go I'll, there. I'll try quickly to be brief. And I'll first just say it took me a really long time to understand the four noble truths. Like hmm. I... I don't think it got through my thick skull until <laughs> like a few years after I had been thinking about it. Okay. And I remember, you know, in my 20s, um, I thought, what is the deal with that? Like, why are Buddhists so focused on suffering? My God, like, why would you start with like everything? Su everybody suffers. Like, that's mm -hmm. the thing you're going to base your whole, you know, philosophy of spirituality on. Blech, you know, right. wah, wah, wah. you know, that was sort of my approach. And then finally, when it clicked, I was like, oh, no, this is like the most important thing for anybody to know. <laughs> Interesting. So, so okay, why? I'll try, to, why? I'll try to explain it. I'll try okay. to explain it. 
So the first noble truth is that everyone suffers, right? That's like the quickest way of saying it. You could also say crap happens, stuff yeah. happens. Right. Um, the, the, the translation that I like the best is that there is a natural and inevitable unsatisfactoriness to life. Mm-hmm. Um, it just isn't ever the way that we want it to be. It's just never quite, even like the best filet mignon you ever had, maybe the waiter wasn't great or maybe the company wasn't great or maybe there wasn't enough of it and you were hungry. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anything that's the best, even as the best vacation of your life, well, guess what? It's over and you're back at work now and that sucks. Like, (laughs) inevitably, there's something unsatisfactory that is that is just a part of being human and experiencing a human life. And so at some point, you're just going to need to accept that. Like, number one, accept that. Right. Um, Which is such a big deal, which is why number two is guess what happens when you don't accept that? You suffer more. Hmm. It is miserable for you. Because what do we do when we don't want to experience the unsatisfactory of not of life? Well, I don't know. We Netflix it. Denial. We, yeah, we deny yeah. it. We, workaholic, yeah. we get workaholic. We become righteous pains in the butt to everybody around us and think right. that we know. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we've come up with these endless ways of avoiding numbing or just diving into sort of this nihilistic, you know, seek pleasure parade. And none of that stuff works. Like none of that gets rid of the unsatisfactoriness Hmm. because it's impossible to avoid the unsatisfactoriness. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the third noble truth says, well, the good news is you don't have to live like that. You know, you could, you could maybe see all of this unsatisfactoriness in a different way and work with it in a way that doesn't make you more miserable. Right. Mm. And the fourth one is here's how you do that. It's called the eightfold path. Interesting. Um, and the, the eightfold path is like um, there. It's often right, right view, right intention. Sometimes when Christians hear the word, right, it gets very, uh, perfection sin focus. Now see, I've heard it say wise, wise intention, wise action, wise thought. Okay. I think that's better. I think wise or skillful is a Mm. better way, particularly for Christians to see that list because it just helps those, those little pieces of baggage stay, um, you know, out of the way. But yeah, Yeah. so it's wise view, skillful intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. If we if we can come to life in that kind of a way, then we'll never get rid of the unsatisfactoriness, but we might work with it in a way that feels more meaningful to us. And like that's about the best you can do with it, you know? Right. <laughs> so that's so interesting. I, I just have to ask a follow-up question here. I feel like the the suffering or the God causes suffering is a large reason people can't reconcile that God is good yeah. um, in the evangelical context. How do you, what would you say to those people who like view suffering as uh, the antithesis to who God is? I would say, have you met Jesus? <laughs> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like... Um, I kind of touch on this in my book, but I talk about how 
the thing that that why is why is Jesus a blessing to us and why is the cross a blessing to us? And I think for me, one of the main reasons is that he shows us that suffering is inevitable. Right. Like, we have this notion in our heads that if we could just get it right, if we could just do it right, if we could just memorize all the verses, I don't know. I actually wasn't raised evangelical, but the people that I pastored for many years and work mm-hmm. with now as a spiritual director, most of them are. And they're like, yeah, I thought that I was going to like, you know, memorize Ephesians and then it would be fine. Right. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work that way. And I yeah. was like, what made you think, you know what I mean? Well, of course, I mean, we, this, we also think binge watching Netflix will make it fine. So I mean, right. you know, you just swap out whatever the dumb thing is that we're doing. It's all the same, but, hmm. um, what Jesus does on the cross, I think, is say, look, I did everything right. Right. I did everything right. And I'm still going to die. And I'm going to die bad. Like, mm. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to get betrayed. It's going to be embarrassing. I'm gonna, it's going to be, I'm going to be scorned in front of crowds. It's like every single human thing that we run from with our whole lives, Jesus experienced despite his righteous living. Hmm. And if that doesn't say the truth of the first noble truth to us, then I don't know what else will. It's like, so yeah, fair. it's hmm. not, there's no getting out of it, you know? Hmm. And even with Easter, which I obviously understand is like the most beautiful, wonderful thing that death doesn't have the last say, mm-hmm. death still is going to happen for all of us, you know? Hmm. So, um, yeah, I, 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 at some point, if I ever get my, my thoughts around this in a way that makes sense, I will write a book about it because I think it's such a huge shift for Christians. Amazing. Yeah, I think I'd read it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just think we do weird stuff with suffering, right? Like we do all these dances to get around it. And I just wonder what would happen if we just accepted accepted it. Yeah. That being faithful is its own reward. Like Mm -hmm. you can live a meaningful life and things are still going to happen to you that are terrible. And Mm. You might just want to start accepting that, you know. I think mm-hmm. uh, Kate Bowler's work is so lovely in in offering that space. You know? Do you know? I don't know that. No, I don't everything know happens work. for a reason. Um, and her new book just came out, and I'm totally blanking on the name. But Kate is this wonderful um, academic. She teaches at Yale. She was young and married and got f- stage four cancer. Wow. And had had a young boy and it was is an incredibly faithful person and just started saying, like, do you know how many Christians told me terrible things like, mm-hmm. the, you know, and she said, I'm just guess what? Like cancer happens. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You got to find God in the middle of I mean, I'm obviously not saying it as well as lovely Kate. You should read her <laughs> book. But I think she kind of starts pulling at that string that says that, like, if we do it right, we're going to get out of the suffering. Well, we're not right. going to get out of the suffering. If we yeah. do it right, we can sit with the suffering and just be with it and not mm-hmm. fall apart. You well, know? I, th- I think that's what really intrigued me about um, Buddhism and their conversation about suffering, because um, in Christianity and in particular in evangelical Christianity, we want to solve suffering. We want to give it a name. We want to say where it came from. And we spend hours upon hours in this sort of apologetic conversation about, well, at some point we're either trying to defend God because evil exists, or we're trying to do all these spiritual gymnastics to explain why suffering happens. And Buddhists don't do any of that. They just say there is suffering. 
you know what, we're, there it is. And, and we have to live with it. And then we have to figure out how to move forward. Um, so one of the things that has helped me in dealing with suffering and that I would love to, to ask you about too, is the notion of impermanence. And mm. it's the fact, of course, that, you know, nothing stays the same, that the entire universe is constantly changing, that our bodies are changing, that the day itself is changing as we speak, that nothing stays constant. And in a way that's both terrifying and utterly freeing because, you know, if you're having a bad time, like most of us did for the last year and a half, well, impermanence tells you like this shit will not last forever. Thank God. Um, but yet on the opposite, as you said, when you're on vacation and things are great, uh, that's not going to last either. Um, and and one of the things that I have learned in, in a journey of recovery that I'm on is the notion of impermanence has been so freeing because I think what I have done for the last several years is I have chased pleasure and run from pain. And, and I don't mean that in some hedonistic, terrible way. I just mean – that I think I bought the lie that life is supposed to be hunky-dory and good. And I'm a good Christian. I work at the right organizations. I believe the right things. Then why the hell are bad things happening to me? And so I'm just going to run away from that. Um, and I'm going to try and live in a world of constant pleasure or constant enjoyable, constant joy. And Buddhism says, dude, that's just not possible. Like you are chasing a dream here. You're chasing a fantasy. So how do you see the notion of impermanence um, playing into your world if I haven't already like overdone it for you? No, I I love everything that you said. And I think um, I think the break comes when we just realize that we can't keep it up, you know, Mm -hmm. because I, I, in a, in a different way than you, but I, you know, I had a pretty benevolent childhood and I had a pretty benevolent young adult life and college was fine. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was an adult person that things, the wheels kind of started falling off. And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, you can't like get an A on this test and it make, you know, you can't like fix your way. You can't study your way out of this one. Do you know? Or (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't just charm my way out of that. Or like, just, I can't like apply my passionate dedication and think that it's going to get fixed. And when the cracks started showing, I thought, oh, like this is telling me something about life that is really disappointing. Mm -hmm. And then of course, then you look back and you think, oh, well, those times when I thought that it was permanent, you know, that I was somehow like keeping all these (laughs) wheels spinning or, you know, these plates spinning in the air, that that was actually an illusion. You know, you were totally deluded about what was actually going on because you weren't touching into the suffering that you were having at that moment. And you were just too busy spinning all the plates to notice. Mm -hmm. So I think impermanence is just, yeah, I agree. It's a really freeing thing. And the only thing I'd add is that for me, it really helps me ground in the present Hmm. because this is all we have. Yeah. I don't even know what tomorrow will be like. And I'm still trying to figure out what yesterday was. And depending (laughs) on what I'm feeling like today, I see yesterday differently. So, you know, even the past isn't permanent. Hmm. And so there's this radical sense of presence that, of course, I think Jesus embodied so well Hmm. that you just don't worry about tomorrow. Like 
just be present, be here, consider the lilies, you know, they're just Mm -hmm. doing their thing today. And that's, that's it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful way to live your life, just to be present to every moment, take it for what it is. Don't try to hold on to it. And, you know, it's very, it's very the story of the transfiguration. It's like, oh, let's Mm -hmm. set up, let's set up these altars and make the thing. And Jesus is like, no. (laughs) It's already over. It's fine. (laughs) Put your notes down and just pay attention to what's happening to you right now. It's pretty great. You know, like put the phone down and don't stop trying to post this on Instagram and just experience it. Yeah. Um. So to me, that's what I think impermanent, the gift of impermanence is that sense of just radical presence, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny because it's so grounding, but in Buddhist literature, it's the groundlessness of experience that gives you that grounding, which is just such a beautiful paradox to hold. So my, my, my mind just exploded on that. Right. Can you, oh my can you God. say that again? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, please. <laughs> well, yeah they, yeah, they talk about like the groundlessness of experience because everything's impermanent. And then for some reason, that's the one thing that touches us all the way down to earth. And, you know, we'll be pondering the mystery of that for the rest of our lives, right? It's like uh-huh. the void. Oh my gosh. I spent a whole year just like mostly thinking about the void. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your husband was really happy about that. <laughs> I just like, I don't get it. I mean, I try to get it and it's very connected to martial arts too. And so I could just get real nerdy about how that ties in, but the void is fullness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's that's what it is. It's not, it's not the void in some like sci-fi, you know, terrible, everything's gone wrong in the world. Apocalyptic. No, it's like, no, it's the fullness. Like it's hmm. when you let go so much that the fullness of the thing is the thing. <laughs> hmm. Wow. That is, it's so interesting. I think uh, it, when you're talking and with the kind of the paradoxical way of explaining this, it seems so contradictory to the American dream of like, if I work hard, I will succeed. I will get a better job. I will be more notable in my church. The equation isn't there. And it's it sounds really freeing in mm. one regard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would really love to loop, loop back um, to your knowledge of Buddhism. And you mentioned, you touched on the Eightfold Path. Uh, and I would love if you could describe that path a bit more and and how, if at all, it's similar to the way of Jesus, how those things, can they coexist? Yeah, there, I mean, it's definitely unique in the sense that there's not really a way to line it up. But I will say, um, my friend Mark Scandrett, who's just a lovely human being, he just, he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Ninefold Beats. And hmm. he takes the Beatitudes um, as kind of the, Jesus version of the eightfold path and does some pretty cool stuff with it. Interesting. Um, yeah. Man, so if you that's wanna... the book that I wanted to write. So I don't Is like it? them. Yeah. No, I've been like processing <laughs> this for the last two years. So yeah. Oh wow. my gosh. Okay. Well, um, there's always a good re I mean, you know, there was already original Lessing book like in the eighties and I still yeah. wrote one and they Matthew were good. Fox. They're very different. Yours yeah, is much Matthew better. Fox. His is like, what the hell are you saying on page three? <laughs> 
Well, when people say, why did you do that? I'm like, well, because I want, I want it to be widespread and I just don't think everybody's up to reading Matthew no, Fox, which it's a beautiful book. I hope, I hope they will. Like when people say, what should I read next? I'm like, well, you should read Matthew Fox's book. We're like, doing it in our book club for Sophia Society, by the way, but so it good. is not for everyone. So yes, it's continue. not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to make it really accessible for everyone, particularly in the American experience, but mm. you should also write your book based on your experience because you're different, but that's true. Um, but yeah, for sure, look up um, Mark's work on the ninefold beats. But to me, the eightfold path, I mean, it just, it's its so simple and yet there's so much to think about. <laughs> In that way, it's like the gospel. It's like, oh, Jesus tells us this thing about a sheep and like, I'm still working on it, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, the... The the basic assumption behind the Eightfold Path is that it's this middle way between indulgence and self-mortification. Like, mm. it's the middle way. So, okay, what do you do with your suffering? Well, you either indulge it and you're like, hey, I'm just going to have the funnest life of all time. Woo! <laughs> or you say, I'm going to be a monk. I'm never going to have any fun ever. I'm just going to pray all the time and try to be perfect, right? Well, neither of these worked. Um, the Buddha realized because he tried both of those and he said, okay, we, wh what is it like if we try to try the middle way? What, what happens when we try to stay in the middle of, of things? Hmm. So um, there's the eightfold path has some that are about wisdom, some that are about like moral discipline, and then some that are about meditation and working with the mind. And when you combine those three things, you think, well, yeah, that's about what you need to live uh, an awakened life, right? Mm. Um, right view is that you see things clearly. So I don't know. I saw on Twitter yesterday, someone in Phoenix had taken a picture of a van that said birds don't exist and that they're all like drones by the government. And I was like, oh, I mean, I don't know how we're going to get past the crazy of today, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. I live in Dallas. So a few days yeah, ago, there right. were those people, right, that were gathering to see uh -huh. JFK Jr., JFK, yeah, yeah. who's apparently not a Democrat anymore. I don't know, but he right. also died in the 90s, right? Okay, so right view would say, <laughs> okay, well, we got to, like, we got to touch into reality here. <laughs> like, Birds do exist. JFK yes. Jr. died. Like Elvis right. also died. Whatever the conspiracy theory is, yada, yada. Um, and you can't really do anything until you do that. And then once you do that, you can start to have a right, the, the wise intention of like, what do you want to bring to this situation? Hmm. Um, and then you think, okay, if that's what I want to bring to the situation, what do I say and what do I do? How can I be skillful with my words and my actions? Um, and then of course your livelihood, there's like three things that Buddhists won't, won't do, um, for livelihood. And they say like you, your, your livelihood should be supporting your intentions in the world right. because mm -hmm. of how clearly you see what the world is and what the world needs. And then you put effort towards that in the sense that you, I mean, goodness, wise effort, like focus your energy every day on the stuff that matters and stop focusing it on the stuff that doesn't, which is mm -hmm. like, again, so simple and just totally so impossible. Yeah, yeah. Like we do this every Lent and we're still like working on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last two are like mindfulness and concentration, which are about working with your mind in such a way that you can do all those things. Well, let's talk about the mindfulness and the meditation for a minute. Um, because, 
I mean, those are two words that have been around. Obviously, mindfulness kind of got cool, I don't know, maybe seven, eight, ten years ago. Um, yeah. And even if you have a very limited understanding of Buddhism, you you understand that meditation is a central aspect of it. And at least in my definition, mindfulness is, as you said so eloquently earlier, it's the simple act of being present to the moment. Um, and being just being present without judging, without clinging, without rejecting, without having to make a statement about it. You know, you're just here with the lilies. You're here with the thunderstorm. You're here with the sunshine. Um, but but meditation appears to me, at least, to be the practice that allows us to get there. It's it's that that almost that discipline of taming. The monkey mind, as it were. Um, I read. Have you read Pima Chodron's um, "When Things Fall Apart"? By the way. Yes. Oh my God! I so good. It, um, I I it was unbelievable to me. Uh, Earth shattering, simple book, but <laughs> yeah. In it, she says, and she's talking about meditation. So I want I want you to respond to this. She says. In meditation, up come all these thoughts, but rather than squelch them or obsess with them. We acknowledge them and we let them pass. And then we come back to just being here. Um, and, and when I read that book and, and when I specifically read that page, I was like, oh, my God, that is actually what meditation does for me. It, it, it helps me. It is practice for real life. It is practice for when things come up in, in real life that are good, that are bad, that are right, that are wrong that are maybe impulsive or something to reject, I can, I can welcome those thoughts. I can welcome that activity that happened in my mind without being identified with, with it and or without having to react to it. Um, and so how – I'm not really sure what to ask you, but maybe two, two questions. What does meditation mean to you and maybe how has it formed you and then I think most people just don't even know what the hell meditation is. So, yeah. like, what do you do when you sit there and and close your eyes? Yeah. Um, Sorry to be so elementary, but no, I, I no. Oh my gosh, I, it's funny because I'm actually doing. Um, I just finished on Soul Ninja. We did the 59 Lojong slogans, which are mind training slogans, and now I'm spinning from now until the end of the year talking about meditation and. Mm. Um, next week's post is literally like, how, like, what do you do with your hands and mm -hmm. what yeah. about the, where, where does your tongue go? Like, it's mm -hmm. just really, right. because that's the stuff that actually can really help your practice. So it's not, it's not elementary at all. It's really helpful. Um, okay. So I'm thinking of this Zen story that I heard about this, this man who's in his village and he's riding this horse and the horse is just going in circles, like really fast. And somebody walks up to him and, and says, where are you going? And the guy's like, I don't know. Ask the horse. <laughs> yeah. and the point is that most of the time that is how we are with our minds. You know, mm. we are. I don't I think it was a series of moments for me personally when I started, you know, realizing I think it was like midlife and I was stepping down from being a pastor and. Um, you know, whatever, just all those things kind of doing all that inner work together. And I realized, oh my gosh, I spend so much time in my day reacting. Yeah. Hmm. Like that isn't even me. You know what I mean? The reactions right. are like the cheapest 
lightest, shallowest, fluffiest versions of me. And that is the thing that I'm spending most of my time living out of. It just felt so convicting. Like you just realize I'm actually not driving the car of my own life here. I'm just letting my emotions, my passions, my reactions, my whatever, you know, my hot button issues to just gather me around kind of like a horse with a bit in its mouth. It's like you're just you're being led around, you know, or you're riding the horse and you don't you have no control over where it's taking you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, meditation is the act of placing yourself in the driver's seat and observing your life. It's like you get on the observation deck of your own life and just see what's happening. Hmm. You know, um, a lot of the Buddhist teaching, it talks about like this being a practice of waking up hmm. and it is, you wake up to the fact that like, I cannot believe that every time that happens to me, I do the same stupid thing, you know, right, right. <laughs> gosh, that's so boring. Like, ugh. You just, you end up wanting to change it because once you see it, you're just like, why am I so freaking predictable? That's so <laughs> annoying. My God, why do I think it's going to be any different this time? Like, mm -hmm. has that ever worked out for me before? Um, and meditation is the practice in which you just start noticing that stuff. And I honestly just, I know people have a hard time um, wanting to meditate and then sticking with meditation. But to me, it has been the most transformative spiritual practice I've ever had because it's helped me see what stuff to work on, you know? Wow. Do you meditate every day? I actually meditate Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, and then I do contemplative prayer Tuesday, Thursdays. Oh, and I hate very routine, so Yeah, I hate routine, so I don't do anything on the weekends and I don't feel bad <laughs> nice. about it. Nice. And so tell me <laughs> what your meditation practice looks like. So I sit for usually 20 minutes. Um, I will say in COVID, 10 was great. <laughs> um, I used to really encourage people like, oh, if you're starting meditation, just do five minutes. And now I don't, I actually don't recommend that because you know what? Your brain is a, is a hot, ever loving mess. And if you just mm -hmm. sit with it for five minutes, you'll never yeah, get to the point. Happen. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you don't get to the point where it gets better. Like it usually takes me seven or eight minutes to just like wave at all the monkeys and be like, Hey guys, like wh why are you so bonkers? And then right. usually <laughs> minute nine or 10, I actually start feeling like I might be doing the work, you know, and that's all part mm. of the process. It's no big deal. But if you only do five minutes, then you're just never getting the part where you're seeing past that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so Tibetan Buddhists, I, I love the way that they meditate. I will say, obviously it's the way that I was taught, but they meditate with their eyes open. And the reason is because we are trying to practice, um, training our mind in the world as it is. Mm. And so we want to be in the world as it is. For me, the added bonus as a Christian is that when I do contemplative prayer, I close my eyes. And so it also helps me sort of acknowledge the distinction between the two that for me, contemplative prayer, I'm going inward and I'm spending that time just communing with God and that's inside. And for me, meditation is my eyes are open and I'm thinking about the world outside and how my inside mind is reacting to it. Right. Hmm. Um, so 
yeah, that's that's kind of a, a little. And are you are you focusing on your breath? Like, are you, are you? I would say just doing breath work. Like, what what is happening in that in those twenty minutes when you know you finally realize, like, okay, I'm starting to things are starting to calm down. I'm starting yeah. to you know I'm I'm noticing my thoughts now. I'm not reacting. I oop that that thought about vacation popped up, and I didn't run down the stream of planning it and booking the trip. I'm like, oop, come back. What, what is really happening in your mind at, at that moment? Yeah, it's, that's, it's all that is what's happening. It's that <laughs> act of, you know, you just continually put yourself in the seat of, of observation and you say, mm -hmm. I am watching. And I think, like you said, people don't know what meditation is because they have this imagination that again, here comes the unsatisfactoriness. They're like, this isn't helping me stop thinking at all. I'm like, yeah, it's for sure not going to do that. Right. Like, good luck. I mean, there's no way to stop your thoughts. Like, that's not what you're doing in meditation. You're just, instead of letting your thoughts own you and your, your thoughts little you know what, and it just is mm -hmm. taking you wherever it wants you to go, Instead, you're just watching them and then you're making the decision not to engage, mm -hmm. which takes practice. It's a muscle, you know, like yep. it's it's a it's it's something that you have to practice to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I will freely say that I am not in any like if they hooked me up to a machine, they wouldn't be like, wow, Danielle, you've really calmed it down in there. I mean, no, I've been <laughs> doing this for like five or six years. It's still an absolute zoo. It's a zoo. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I learned with my second meditation, well, both all my meditation teachers, actually, they've all been so great. And um, they're all like, yeah, that's fine. That's like the work. So yeah, I mean, yeah. don't um, the few times in public that I've taught meditation, I have, I've brought little gold stars with me and I'm like, I don't know if any of y'all are like me, but a lot of you are going to want to like do it right. And so I'm just going to give you the gold star now. Right. I love Put that. Put it on your shoulder and then just like, let it go, you know, yep, because yep. the only well, Because the minute that, you start asking, am I doing it right? You're actually doing it wrong. Oh, right? the, yeah. And if you get cocky about it, you're like, yeah. Ooh, look at Ooh, that. Look it's at so me, smooth man. in I here. And then boom. Yeah. It's right. over, right? Yep. <laughs> so the only way to do it right is to do it. And the only way not to do it right is not to do it. That's mm. literally it. That's all. It's mm. as simple I love as that. that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you show up and you do it. And, you know, I have nine Britney Spears songs in my head. And what are you going to do? You put them <laughs> in the background. You, you turn it down. And you just say, well, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know that I was, it was going to be a Britney Spears kind of a day to day. I didn't know I was still <laughs> mad at that guy from elementary school. I didn't know. Like, it's, this is all helpful information for me to start right. my day. Did you find, I found that when I went from um, prayer as in talking to God mm -hmm. to more contemplative prayer and solitude and listening and that kind of more empty space or um, following, like you said, following um, what's already going on in your mind. Was there a period in there where you felt lost or like you had to detox a part of you or what, what was that experience like for you? Um, with contemplative prayer or with meditation? B both. Both. Okay. Both and, yeah. Um, so it's funny. My, I'm not trying to like plug my book, but my second book kind of talks <laughs> about that. So Go that's for one it. reason Go I'm for it. Definitely <laughs> plug your book. Yeah, Tell totally. us all about it. But I, so when I first stepped down from being a pastor, one of the reasons that I told my lovely, beautiful people um, that despite how much I absolutely love that job, that it was just time for me to go was because I really, I saw 
how much I was thinking and talking about God. And I actually, more than anything, just wanted to be with God. Hmm. Like, I just didn't want to comment, you know? Hmm. And so um, it just so happened and, you know, hashtag Holy Spirit, that I was able to join this cohort of people that um, went to the Holy Land for two weeks on pilgrimage. Hmm. And my goal was that I was going to go there and just be with God, like no prayers, no wordy anything. I was just going to let that part of my soul that just wanted to hang out with God and be together and not have to write a sermon about it, <laughs> yeah. just have its way. And what ended up happening, ironically, which is my second book, is that the Lord's Prayer kept coming up. And so that's the one thing that I did consistently pray. But that hmm. was such a meditative experience that that I think that was my detox, that that sort of season of me saying, I just can't say anything else about God. You know, mm -hmm. I can't talk about it. I want to preach about it. I want to pray about it in public. I don't want to, I just want to be. Um, and even the, the, the act of practicing the praying the Lord's prayer throughout that pilgrimage was such a pared down way of my experience of God as it was as a pastor for nine or 10 years, you know, that mm. I think that just reset everything. And it, of course it was the year or so after that, that I got into meditation. And so I think that was very serendipitous as well that I had just, you know, you got to get okay with being. And I think yeah. so much of our discipleship, frankly, in the church is about doing and absolutely and serving and ugh. yeah. Well, yeah. it's not only that, it, it has everything to do with what happens next. It's so Gnostic. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah. Okay. Can you help me now? Like I, I want to live a, a flourishing, good, balanced, healthy life now. No, no, no. Well, that all happens when you go to heaven. Well, that, <laughs> thanks. You know, like yeah. maybe I'll try Buddhism because they seem to be concerned about what's happening right now. Yes. So mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Much good it does you on a Thursday night, you know. I know, right. Well, totally. Cool. Heaven. Great. Thanks a lot. Yeah. 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 So, Danielle, growing up in the church, uh, it was hammered into a lot of us that Jesus was the only way or a path to salvation. Over the years, I've come to stumble on, onto books like Holy Envy, Finding God in the Faith of Others by Barbara Brown Taylor, and these other people presenting beautiful ideas about other faith practices. However, there are still many people in the evangelical context who I would say are really uncomfortable with incorporating any practices from any other faith traditions. Yet, you are a spiritual director, former pastor, and Christian author. How do you follow two spiritual paths simultaneously? Dude, that's a great question, by the way. It's a good question. Um, the simplest way to answer that is it's one path. It's, th it's the same path. Hmm. Um, I just don't see them as separate at all. Like there's a kind of person that I've in some ways vowed and in other ways simply committed to be, and I will receive any wise instruction on how to be that person with yeah. open arms. Um, it just so happens that for me, as somebody who loves the story of Jesus and will always, always um, return to it mm -hmm. and have that be my center and my anchor, that Buddhism has probably been the, the thing that's helped my spiritual practices the most. Wow. Um, 
I don't know how to make sense of that, but goodness, yeah. sure. You know, when I, when I learned about the Bodhisattva, the idea of this being who's reached enlightenment and yet decides to come back for another round of human living so that they can help others be enlightened. Mm. I was like, Oh, Jesus. Okay. Right. Got it. <laughs> you know, got yep. it. It's yep. not about you getting out of the cycle, the the cycle of rebirth, even if you you hit the jackpot and get nirvana, you can choose to still come back and be of service. Um, mm. How is that not Christianity, right? Well, I mean, it isn't. I should say really clearly. Well, but but it is though. I mean, I would say, like, isn't it a version that we've lost? Like, isn't isn't there some tenets of that story within like esoteric Christianity within Celtic Christianity, where oh, for they're sure. basically saying, look, guys, we we all came from God. We're all going back to God. Now, some of y'all, it's going to take you a while, right? Like, <laughs> it, 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 right. Might, it might take you some a long time. Some of y'all just got here and you got to learn that birds are real. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they are real. <laughs> yeah. And like that notion of, of returning and cycling through and then even the notion of like, okay, you made it, like you you have experienced whatever we want to call it, uh, divin divinization, um, you know, you've lived into your full Christhood, you have reached nirvana, and do you want to stay here or do you want to go back and, and bring others with you? Like, I mean, I, I know that that's never taught from the pulpit, but I mean, I've heard that from my spiritual director, who is a Christian, who said, look, that's, that's kind of the way, I think that's the path. And yeah, but we, we don't, we're not taught that necessarily. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting that we're talking about this on what is actually Diwali too. I feel like I should mention that, um, mm. this is this be beautiful, um, festival of lights that talks about how good will always overcome evil, how, how you can find your inner light, even in the midst of darkness. And that mo many religions, including one aspect of Buddhism, but Hinduism and, um, Jainism and, uh, yeah, that this is this is something that is very powerful and meaningful. It's like Christmas, you know. And I'm mm. like, well, yeah, it is like Christmas because that's why we light <laughs> trees with little twinkly lights on them in the darkest part of the year. And that's why mm. we actually stole that from pagans who also did the same thing. And the reason <laughs> is because something is deeply true about the fact that light is present even in darkness, and that is a human awareness of a universal truth that belongs to God. It, mm. I would say belongs to God. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't talk all the time about this, but I mean, if you've ever had even just like a moment where you feel like you had a little peek behind the curtain, like you might've had that unitive experience where you, where, you know, things got weird and you just thought, Oh, like I, I see it clearly now. And then you click out of it. Mm. To me, those moments have been an acknowledgement that it's one. It's just all one. Hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that our differences don't matter. I mean, one of the reasons why I did Soul Ninja was because I realized that when Buddhists say generosity, they don't mean the same thing that Christians mean when they say generosity. And I thought that was so interesting and important for me that I wanted to spend a month practicing Buddhist generosity to kind of feel my way into what was different, you know? Hmm. And that was, that really blessed me to say a very Christian phrase. Like I found hmm. that to be such a gift. Um, 
So I in no way want to, to say that we're all exactly the same. We're not. We're different. But I think the truth is all the same. You know, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, God is. it. This is, whatever this is, this unity is just, that's, that's the reality, you know? And mm-hmm. the rest of it is just ways that we're accessing it. Hmm. I don't even know how to talk about it, right? No, it's, right. it's, it's a great defies way to conversation. Yeah, it's but, like yeah. the uni- universals and particulars and like how it all comes together and yet we're still different. It's it's mind-boggling. Actually. Yeah, it's another yeah. paradox that we hold that this is it's truly one and it's also unique. Mm-hmm. And the unique the uniqueness is just as beautiful as the unity is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the only way I understand it is working at a university like well what makes it universal well we have several colleges that are independent and yet they form a universal uh philosophy of education and without the colleges there's no universal without the particular colleges there's no universal university you know and so it's right. like we need both are happening i think at the same time yes both are happening at the same time so you you alluded to this earlier um but maybe our last formal question for you is how has Buddhism made you a better Christian beyond um, the the wonderful foundational thing of providing you practices, spiritual practices? Is there anything else that uh, intersects here with these two, with these two spiritual paths? Gosh, it's really hard to put into words. I think what I would say is, Acknowledging that in in unsatisfactoriness, that inevitability of suffering, you know, just letting mm. that go all the way to the ground floor <laughs> mm. in my own self, in my own life, um, has formed me so deeply. And I think it's from that place that I have a well of compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an ability to be present to really hard things as a spiritual director. I have room to hold people's stories. Um, I have room to hold my own story. And I don't know if it just so happened that in my unfolding of faith that God brought Buddhism to me to teach me that in a deeper way. I think, you know, that's always the hope, right? That Christians are the compassion people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. it's not always true though, is it <laughs> No. <laughs> that we're the ones with the biggest hearts and we're the ones that say, oh, I can see how, I can see how you would do that. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, right. that's, yeah. Don't we do weird things when we suffer? And yeah, I've, I've done stuff too. It didn't work either. <laughs> Look at us, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, now what, right? Like, I think that, um, I just think letting the 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 truth of that go all the way to the marrow mm. of my bones over time mm. and to sit with it. And then, you know, honestly, just the practice of meditation for me who is fairly driven and type A and like got good grades and whatever, to just learn how to not be good at something and still feel like it matters. Mm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> major upgrade for me. Uh, I mean, maybe if I say it now, it's not true. Right. But like, I feel like a better person because I can just hold space in my own self for it all not to be so like, it doesn't have to be an A, you know? Yeah. 
You yeah. can get an F and like, it's just, there is no F. There is no A actually. This is all completely ridiculous. <laughs> um, show up, just show up to your own life and mm -hmm. be present. And when you mess up, you just look and say, well, what can I learn from that? What can that teach me? You know? And mm. I, I think it's been helpful that I've had my teenagers um, during a time when I've been practicing this because, you know, teenagers, woof. <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. We have three. <laughs> it's, it's not always easy. And, you know, for me to be able to say, well, I mean, okay, what's done is done. Like, what, what do we know now that we didn't right. know before? What clarity has this brought? What wisdom has this brought? And, you know, I haven't even talked about all the ways that this connects with original blessing. Like for me, the thing that really caught my heart the most, and now I'm kind of going on a tangent, but the thing that really caught my heart the most about this idea of imbibing this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is it's the same thing as the, the first noble truth. It's like, you can't get the knowledge of good without the knowledge of evil. Stop mm -hmm. trying to separate them, you know? Mm -hmm. They are interconnected. We are interconnected. And so the only thing we can do is practice moving toward wisdom. And that is inevitably going to come with not wise choices. You know, mm. like God is just not remotely surprised when we mess it up. And God's like, yeah, I know. Like mm. I have designed it to work this way so that hopefully you figure it out and then you try again. And like, really the only goal is trying it again. Otherwise, I don't know why David was remotely somebody after God's own heart. If I don't, right, if I right. don't see that as somebody who's just willing to try it again, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, all of that I think is just, I don't know, that isn't all an amalgamation of a bunch of things, but. No, it's amazing. I think it's so inspiring. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Danielle, we said that that was our last question and it was our last formal question, <laughs> but we would like to ask you some fun, rapid fire, get to know you better questions. Ooh. Are you game? Love it. Yeah. Let's go. Amazing. <laughs> all right. So I'll ask the first one. If you could go anywhere right now, teleport, jump on a plane. It's got to be a real place, though. Um, where would you go and why? Uh, the Ninja Mountains in Japan. I'm obsessed with them. Really? Have you been? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, why why, why are they called the Ninja Mountains? Well, are there the ninjas mount, there? The, little, the two provinces where all the ninjas hang, hung out. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, you can actually go and do like two-week uh, spiritual pilgrimages of like silent retreat type climbing up a mountain i want to do that so bad wow. i would do that right now if i could that sounds amazing <laughs> <laughs> we'll be googling that later yeah. um i love that then my next question is if you could invite someone to a taekwondo match because i think it's amazing that you're into taekwondo oh, and this person is hypothetically also a black belt who would you want to fight is it dead or alive uh yeah, yeah. okay well it would obviously be bruce lee who was oh, just freaking wow. awesome. And I would be like, Bruce, can you please show me like up close and personal, the little one inch punch? Because have oh you seen goodness. Bruce Lee do the one inch punch? I know I have not. No, but, but I did see Brad Pitt kick his ass in Once Upon a Time <laughs> in Hollywood. So, uh, Okay. One Taekwondo fallout question. How long did you work on your black belt for? I just have so much respect for martial arts. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, so mine took about four years because I tore my ACL in the middle of it, which is oh another story. So much discipline. I respect oh. that. <laughs> Did you grow up in the South, Danielle? Yes. I grew okay. up in West Texas. 
So uh, I grew up in the South. So this is a simple question. You obviously had a childhood nickname. Can you do you want to share it with us? Uh, well, my maiden name was Grub, so it was like Grubworm, Grublet. Um, some oh people my. called me L. Um, Grub Daddy. Grub Daddy. Yeah, I, like I still have a few friends that's who are great. like, "What's up, Grub Daddy?" I'm like, "Nothing. What's up?" And oh, that's <laughs> iconic. Yeah, that's probably that's the most of them. That is a great Grub one. Daddy. Um, my last fun question for you: You said that you're a book person. What is your favorite book of all time? Oh. That is such an impossible question, but my stock answer to that has been Les Mis by Victor Hugo. Oh, uh, fantastic. Yes. I what do, a good choice. I do not like the play. It's People get so mad when I say I don't like the musical or no, the play. But no. the book is just, oh my gosh. Right? So good. Yeah. Incredible. So good. Great answer. Hmm. All right. My last question. Uh, what's your favorite TV show of all time? Oh, I think Ted Lasso is making a good run at it right now. <laughs> Great answer. I've not yeah. seen it. I've not seen oh, it. Gary oh, Allen, get on it. No, it's because everyone's that? talking about it. And I just refuse. What are you Which means doing it's with good. your life? It's so good. It's good on layers and levels that like you just don't even know. Like we yeah. watched the first season three times. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Gary Ann, this is not something to be a contrarian about. All right. I oh, mean, because I'm an I'm an Anglophile, so I love everything English. <laughs> but it's just like putting this dumb American in English. I, I, I just well, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Well, okay. we are a. In addition to that, um, I would say I'm slightly an Anglophile as well. Uh, I I mean I think other than that, I would say Sherlock with yeah, um, yeah. Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch is probably yeah, one of my favorite shows okay. of all time. Great yep. picks. Absolutely. Um, those are not anything alike, but we are a football family too. So my husband watches football matches um, over, you know, no, soccer you mean matches. soccer? Yeah, yeah okay. soccer matches. Soccer. So we just were like, oh, this is totally the show for us. And it's great. amazing. Yeah, it's a great uh, show. All right. I'll watch it. Props. You, you've convinced I like that me. you watch that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Danielle, this has been incredible. It really has. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I've met an old friend for the first time. Aww. So. That's so such thank a you. nice compliment. Yeah, yeah. really. Um, where can our listeners find more about you, find more about Original Blessing, and then potentially your your upcoming book? Where can we point them? Yeah, um, you can find me at com. If you're interested in the Buddhist stuff, it's BeASoulNinja.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Danielle Schroyer. It's B.A.Soul.Ninja on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter at DG Schroyer. That's where I'm probably the most sarcastic. <laughs> really? You're so Fantastic. nice. I always feel like such a jerk because you're so nice on there. Oh, that's sweet. Well, I I guess I maybe maybe I've probably worked on being sarcastic. I guess I would say I am the most flippant on Twitter. That is okay. the place to be flippant. Yeah, so. it's, it's yeah. the only medium in which that makes sense. So you yeah. can hang out with me there, too, if you'd like. Well, great. Well, we will put all this in the show notes. And again, it's been a, uh, an honor to have you and we'd love to have you on again. So I would we'll love reach to out. come and chat again. We'd love awesome. it. Thank this you has been so great. much, Danielle. It's all been right. wonderful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so great to meet you all. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Kelly Lamb and Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you want more resources to help your spiritual formation and your reconstruction journey, head to sophiasociety.org for articles, online courses, our free ebook, and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. See you next time.